Welcome into the Locked On Knicks podcast, Gavin Shaw, Alex Wolf. A Jekyll and Hyde weekend for the New York Knicks. You are Locked On Knicks, your daily New York Knicks podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. And I think we see Willis coming out. There he comes right now. You are Locked On Nick, your daily New York Knicks podcast, and today's episode is brought to you by Price Picks. First time users can receive a 100% instant deposit match up to $100 with promo code. Locked on, that's prizepicks.com. Promo code locked on. We wanted to thank you for making Locked On Knicks your first listen today and every day. We are now available on all platforms, and that includes on YouTube. So if you uh, haven't seen our smiling faces day in and day out, I I, I, I empathize with you why, why you'd want to just listen to us, but you're missing out. Uh, there's so much more in the wide world of YouTube that we can show you, tell you, uh, communicate with our expressions. So be sure to subscribe. Be sure to hit that notifications bell. Uh, so you never, ever miss an episode. And uh, so you don't miss out on the fact that the Knicks got a big win last night. But before that, uh, who's talking to you? I'm Gavin Shell, your favorite play-by-play broadcaster, favorite play-by-play broadcaster. He's Alex Wolf, editor-in-chief of The Strickland, the greatest Knicks website in the whole wide world. Check them out on all forms of social media at thestrick.land. And uh, Alex, uh, we, we, we realized we, we, we used to do this a whole lot. We kind of got away with it. A friend of mine was like, hey, why don't, why don't you recap the game? Some of us don't get to watch them. So Alex, rapid fire recap. Uh, what, what did the Knicks go through uh, on, on their weekend trip to La La Land? Well, there was a 106-95 loss to the Clippers, which is not as worth talking about as the 112-108 to win over the Lakers. Uh, so I'll, I'll briefly talk about this this Lakers win uh so D'Angelo Russell came out super on fire for the Lakers Julius Randle came out super on fire for the Knicks uh things stayed relatively even keeled through the first three quarters or so and then the Knicks were able to pull out a a 10-point lead in the fourth quarter things looked like they were going to be nice and comfortable until they weren't as things always go uh, over the last over the course of the last minute and change, the Knicks saw a 10-point lead dwindle down to a two-point lead. And then Josh Hart made some really clutch free throws for the Knicks to ice it uh, and put them up by four late, which wound up being your final score after Jansel Russell, I believe, missed a last-ditch three-point attempt that the Knicks rebounded and just held the ball. Uh, R.J. Barrett and Julius Randle both over 30 points in this game. Emmanuel quickly with 15 as the third-leading scorer. And then a bunch of guys just contributing across the board. Uh, some really good contributions from Miles McBride, Obi Toppin, uh, Quentin Grimes to a degree. Isaiah Hartenstein, without scoring a point, had a huge impact on the game. Uh, Josh Hart, you know, same deal. Not a ton of points, but huge impact on the game overall. And then as far as the Clippers game, the Knicks were right in that one as well, even though they didn't seem like they were playing their best game in that one. They were in it through the end of the third quarter, but then Julius Randle gets frustrated at a lack of foul calls going his way, uh, throws an elbow at Mason Plumley, and then uh, all hell broke loose, and he had to get like held back by teammates and coaches and anyone with a Knicks shirt on on the bench uh, to stop him from trying to go berate the refs. He eventually gets a flagrant, 
Um, and then the Knicks just kind of let go of the rope at the beginning of the fourth quarter and lost all momentum. And Kawhi and Paul George just kind of put them away, mostly Kawhi uh, at the beginning of the quarter. So not a fun game, that first one on Saturday. But really, as you said in the intro, Gavin, sort of a uh, Jekyll and Hyde situation for Julius Randle between these two games. So like sort of the, the – I, I will say I was very impressed, like, if he had had a game like he had on Saturday last year and then come into the next game, it would have been like, I don't remember exactly which game this was last year, but there was that one game where he just passive aggressively was like, I'm not going to drive at all. I'm only going to shoot threes. And he mm-hmm. shot like, like two for 12 on threes, just as like, I don't know if it was his way of getting back at the coaching staff, the refs, whatever, but just like that little passive aggressive, like I'm only going to shoot from the perimeter because there's no point in me even going inside. But it, to his credit, I mean, he just came out and was his best self against the Lakers. Yeah, I, I think it, it made a big difference how he was defended. Uh, the two games against the Clippers, uh, Ty Lu, who's, who's considered uh, one of the best game planners in the NBA, um, it was it was sort of a playoff style approach to Julius Randle. Um, Ty Lu described it as a cat and mouse game, which I thought was perfect because a lot of times the Lakers did, or not the Lakers, the Clippers sent two defenders and it, it was to great effect like over and over again. Um, Julius was just consistently not aware of, of someone kind of like coming up to the side and just poking it away from him or or like hit, or he would panic when he noticed the second guy would throw the basketball away. And then there were other times, uh, Alex, I, I hate to bring this up because I, I know you're, you're a loyal Jets fan, but uh, that Julius was seeing ghosts in, uh, in Sam Darnold-esque fashion. And and there, there wasn't actually anyone there, but there was a guy just kind of stunting over and he would repeatedly make the wrong decision um, at points was trying to shoot his way out of it, all, all of it culminated in a five for 24 shooting night. And I did not watch this game live, Alex, but if anyone saw tweet on the, on, on the accounts, like five for 25, what is, what, what happened? Um, and it was, uh, as, as people point out to me, it was somehow worse than that number indicated because it, it wasn't only that he lost his cool off the court. Like it felt like he lost his cool on the court and it was, it was like a really bad, like groundhog day, Deja vu. Like, I feel like this is a trope in uh, fantasy novels or fantasy TV shows sometimes where, where um, like the bad guy like becomes good. Um, but then something happens where they revert back to being the bad guy for, for a day or two. Um, that, that's what it felt like with Julius Randle. It's like, Oh, did he get like, was this, was this a time travel scenario? Did he get swapped out with last year's Randle? Because it was, it was stunning that the same guy that we've seen, I mean, for the last, again, 30, 40 games, make the right play over and over and over again. And, and when he wasn't, it was because he was scalding hot. Um, just insist on taking long step back twos when he had people wide open. And I thought early in the Lakers game, he made a real effort to get back to the things that have been working for him this year, which sure he was, he was pretty hot from three and, and hit a couple early, but it was mostly like, like playing great defense, getting out in transition. He had three dunks in this game, um, all of them on fast breaks. And um, he was getting really deep position inside and shooting short fadeaways instead of kind of the long step back twos that defined his inefficiency a year ago. And I don't know about you, Alex. I was kind of curious that the Lakers weren't trying to replicate more of what the Clippers did. Maybe they don't have quite the same personnel to pull it off with all the Clippers wings, but that was that was almost the weirdest element of this game to me. And and I know when we were talking about it earlier, you noted like as the game went on, the Lakers tried to do more of that and it, it started working a bit. Yeah, and, and I think they just went at it different schematically. Like I think that they thought that they could get away with not doubling him at first. And then their solution was to switch Anthony Davis onto him in the second half, which I mean, if you're going to one-on-one defend with anyone, Anthony Davis is traditionally one of the best guys to be like, okay, yeah, the other teams like big man is really good. Like, let's just throw Anthony Davis on him and see how that goes. Um, Especially because like, 
out of the center spot in this game, the Knicks didn't really have any output. Like Mitch really struggled and Hartenstein for all the good that he did, didn't score a single point. Um, mostly because the, the Lakers did a pretty good job of clogging things up down low. But uh, yeah, I, I was a little puzzled by it too. Uh, ultimately in the end, they did sort of start doing that. And there was almost a couple of disastrous moments down the stretch uh, where like Julius was having to bring the ball over mid court and, you know, then was getting doubled around there. And that's just like, that's not somewhere where you want Julius Randle to be uh, late in a game is doubled with the ball in his hands at mid court, just trying to get the ball over in a key situation. But um, you know, they managed to pull it out. And I, I think, the main thing was that I noticed in this game too, there was every opportunity for Julius to get angry again, because I, I didn't think they were calling a particularly, uh, they, they had a pretty loose whistle again, you know, like I thought that there was a lot of physical play being allowed down low, especially early on. And it would have been easy for Julius to fall back into the like, Oh, like I guess the refs in LA just hate me. Um, you know, sort of thing and just shut it down early in this game. And yet he didn't and just kind of adjusted and, and made it work and started doing what's been his bread and butter this whole season, which is shooting from three and then attacking really hard inside. And he had a few huge momentum shifting dunks in this game uh, as a result, because he was willing to just kind of put his head down, get in there and attack, attack, attack. And it really worked out well for him. So, um, yeah, I, I thought this was a, a, a really great bounce back for him and also just a really great uh, switch around too of his ability to read those doubles when they did come and find some of his teammates. And he wound up, I think, yes, leading the Knicks in assists for this game as a result. So I, I thought it was a great bounce back for him after probably his worst game this season against the Clippers. Yeah, I think, and, and there was still, there was like a few bad moments here or there against the Lakers, like uh, JVG on, on the broadcast called him out twice for not boxing out in the first quarter. And that was, that was pretty noticeable. He was, he's playing way off on, on some of the Lakers. And it was kind of hard to tell if it was laziness or, or, or Tibbs' strategy, which honestly worked out, like was to just give certain guys open threes. I think uh, our friend Benji noted at, at one point, it was a combination of, of uh, Gabriel, um, Troy Brown and Jared Vanderbilt, like Randall was, was gave them a combined like nine threes and they went, went one for nine on them. So I guess, I guess it worked out if that's what he was doing, but there, there was a four play sequence that really stood out to me in late in the second quarter. Um, he had a quick crossover into a, a transition dunk. That was just absolutely sick. Um, and then he, he had a dump off to Mitch and Mitch had just this ugly miss. And I don't know if Randall was mad at Mitch or he was mad at the refs for not calling anything, but he, he kind of like, he did kind of the classic Julius Randall thing where he just, like lets his shoulder sag and the Lakers got back and got a transition layup. I was like, all right, we can't, we can't have more of that. Um, then came back down and, and threw down another huge dunk. Um, and then he had, um, oh, sorry. No, then he, then he threw it away and the Lakers got another dunk. And then he came back down and hit a big three right before halftime. So that was, that was like four plays that to me just, just totally sum up uh, the Julius Randle experience. But Alex, if you're like me and, and you think Julius Randle is going to bounce back tomorrow and you th- could actually put a point total on how he's going to bounce back tomorrow. There's only one place to uh, that kind of bet, and that would be at prize picks. So how does it work? You pick two to six players, and if they go score more or less than their prize picks projection, you can win up to 25 times your money on any entry. So tonight, um, I think I am going to take, uh, or I guess tomorrow night, I'm going to take Julius Randle over 24 and a half points. 
I'm going to take Mitchell Robinson have a big rebounding game. It's been a while. I'm taking Mitchell Robinson over eight and a half rebounds. Uh, and I'm taking Emmanuel quickly over two and a half threes. He's, he's due for another hot game. And the beauty of prize picks is you don't have to compete against other people. Those, those weirdos that live in their mom's basement and, and just grind out numbers all day. Um, it's, it, it, it's not them you're dealing with. It's just you versus the projections available. And they offer projections on essentially any sport you can watch. Seriously, it includes MMA, boxing, disc golf, Euro basketball, cricket, on, on top of kind of kind of the big four or five um, sports here in America. Entries can be made in 60 seconds or less. It's that easy. Safe and fast withdrawals. And currently operational over 30 states and Canada. So download the PrizePix app or go to prizepix.com to sign up and play daily fantasy sports. First time users can receive a 100% instant deposit match up to $100 with promo code locked on. If you deposit $100, PrizePix will give you $100. If you deposit $50, PrizePix will give you $50. Don't forget to enter promo code locked on to sign up for an instant deposit match up to $100. All right. Um, I think the other standout over the weekend. Uh, to me, Alex was was RJ Barrett. Um, somewhat for the wrong reasons against the Clippers, where he wasn't even he wasn't all that bad in the game, right? I mean, five for twelve, um, one for three from three. Uh, well, okay, here, but here's where the issue comes in in terms of him making an impact on the game. Didn't shoot a single free throw. Only had two rebounds. Only had one assist. Only had one steal. Uh, it was a team worst minus twenty one in thirty minutes. This was not entirely on him, but it was. It was kind of stunning to see the way Kawhi Leonard and Paul George just toyed with the Knicks wings. A lot of times it was against Quinn Grimes as well, but those guys, um, and, and obviously this is, this is reality, but um, we're just on like two, three, four levels above. And I flashed back to, I don't know if you remember the game two years ago when the Knicks played the Clippers at home. And, and we, we came out of it talking like, man, like RJ, there's really something there. Like he was matching Kawhi shot for shot. He was playing great defense on him. And, and then just to see two years later, like you kind of expect, like maybe not for RJ to be Kawhi Leonard because he's going to go down as a top 35, 45 player of all time. But to, I don't know, um, like drop 26 in, in, in a big time matchup like that. And he just didn't show up. Like, like you, you want to be motivated for that type of game. It didn't happen. And, and then it came out tonight against the Lakers and, and like Julius Randle uh, was awesome. Yeah, I think, you know, so RJ, 30 points, five boards, two assists. He ends up shooting 12 of 27 overall, but only one of eight from three, five, six from the free throw line, though, which you love to see. I think the big thing with RJ in this game was that he didn't let the fact that the three-point shot wasn't going down allow him to disappear. Um, You know what I mean? Like, there's some games where, that kind of feels like that's like the thing. And that, that's the case for some other guys on the Knicks too. Like sometimes we feel it with quickly. I think, you know, sometimes it happens with Randall, like where if the three point shot is going down, it seems to just kind of take them out of their groove. And then like RJ all of a sudden can't hit layups or anything else either. Um, not for lack of trying. Cause he'll still take like a ton of shots. But like if that three point shot isn't falling, it just seems to dictate his whole night. And he didn't let that happen in this game. Like I thought that he really, he really got after it. Like, getting inside, just taking advantage of what was given to him. Um, there were a couple, you know, looks where I was like, ah, you know, maybe you should have, maybe you should have not taken that shot. Um, there was one where he just got absolutely pulverized by Anthony Davis. <laughs> like he tried to go up with his right hand and Anthony Davis just came out of nowhere and, and swatted the crap out of it. Um, but it was, I mean, pretty, pretty well telegraphed. that Anthony Davis was there to provide some help if need be. And, you know, so the, you take the good with the bad with RJ with those. But I thought that in general, he was doing a good job of, you know, getting inside and, and just taking what the defense was giving him, like taking screens on the perimeter and and attacking them aggressively. 
um, and sort of doing the quickly thing and and getting guys on his hip a bit and using that to you know work his way into the hoop and and eventually uh, go up for a layup or a floater or what have you. So I, I very much enjoyed watching that out of him. Um, and in general, I think like if we just talk about the three point shooting, like I didn't realize this until I looked at the the box score like just a minute ago, but they shot 11 of 37 overall from three in this game, which just continues this abysmal streak that they've had basically since the Celtics game last weekend. Um, yeah, where the Lakers just, were going zone on them in the first quarter yeah. or second quarter, which is, is a little, little embarrassing. But. Yeah, and they just can't throw it in the ocean right now, like 30% from three. It's But it's pretty pretty telling that they're still able to, to put together a win shooting that poorly from three. And really, I mean, in – in most of these games on this, on this, well, uh, other than I guess the the fourth quarter of the Clippers game, pretty much every game on this road trip they've been shooting like crap and yet still been within a few points or winning over all three of these teams. So I guess that's one of the encouraging things of this road trip so far. Like the Knicks, even when they can only shoot like 30% from three, are still hanging. And RJ was sort of just like the the personification of that in this game, along with Julius, who also shot terribly from three in this game too. Yeah. And it, I mean, it, it makes total sense, right? I mean, Jalen Brunson is, is the best guy on the team at, at self-creating threes. I, I guess uh, quick quickly's kind of right there with him, but quickly has been a little bit cold, but more importantly, just the amount of threes Brunson creates for everyone else. Like you're losing maybe five or six open threes per game um, that Jalen Brunson creates. And, and I can't even imagine like the number of threes Brunson creates just from like the gravity that he has and the fact that you can't leave him and, and the rotations, um that forces but i also I, I wanted to circle back on rj because there was um i mean the two things that stood out to me were one just the diversity of his finishes like we saw in the first quarter he had um two, two euro steps uh for layups had another one where, where he sort of played a cat and mouse game with, where, with anthony davis where he was kind of daring anthony davis to bite and he just did a pump fake pump fake and ad never stepped up on him because he didn't want to leave mitch and then he he just uh he flipped it in uh, and then in the fourth quarter, um, he had four layups in the first four minutes of the fourth quarter, um, including one just beautiful um, inside spin move. And then the last one was on a spin and then a pivot and then a step through to beat Anthony Davis on a really tricky um, angle at the rim. Um, Alex, I'll, I'll throw this over to you because there was there's a play you highlighted, but it, but his, his lob to his lob to Obi Toppin was was awesome. And he also, I mean, his final bucket of the game was was created by Josh Hart, but it was um, Hart getting a rebound um, and then just throwing a home run ball to RJ. And RJ, I think it was Austin Reeves, was right there back with him playing good transition defense. And RJ caught it, had a really tricky finish anyways. I guess my big thesis coming out of this game for RJ is he is he benefits so much when people, when other players on the Knicks can get into the lane and then can pass him the ball with a defense that's already in rotation and him already having a runway. And, and some nights RJ gets those passes and he doesn't, he doesn't really take advantage of it. Like he doesn't run into the basketball um, tonight. I thought like whether it was in transition or in the half court, like he really benefited from other guys already getting the defense moving. And then all RJ had to do was be a play finisher. Yeah. I thought the Knicks as a whole did a great job with that in this game. And that clearly was something that they must've talked about was off ball movement in this game. And I think that that's one of the best ways to get RJ going is get him going downhill. Like he's, and, you know, his best way of getting downhill is to get a head start, mm-hmm. which is the case for most NBA players. You know what I mean? Unless you're like De'Aaron Fox or like, you know, one of these guys that's like like 99th percentile quickness, like 
the, or like, you know, prime Russell Westbrook or something like the, the best way to get going is to get a head start and, you know, have a quick cut to make and then just get a perfectly, you know, needled pass in there to you. And that was the case. And Josh Hart is so good at initiating those things too. If we want to start giving Josh Hart his flowers yep. here uh, before next segment, like he's just, that's one of those valuable things that he does on the court other than the like, like professors Xavier level, like uh, uh, crazy predictable rebounding like abilities that he has where he could just like <laughs> see where rebounds are going to go. He's a great guy. Um, yeah. <laughs> I mean, other than that, like his constant movement on offense, like they had him initiating a decent amount in this one. And and JVG called it out at one point during the game was like, oh, look at this. Like they've been and this was in reference to quickly and Randall. But he was like, they've had heart bringing it down on this one side of the floor. So then quickly and Randall can set up in an action on the other side of the floor. And then you can get the ball in Quickly's hands, not at the point of attack, but in a, you know, against maybe a tilted defense that then he can hit it to Julius there, which I think was really smart. And the Knicks just kind of had that in mind this whole game. And it came through with RJ uh, a bunch as well. But you know what? There's still more to talk about with Josh Hart and Emmanuel quickly and those guys. Uh, But first I do have to let everybody know that today's episode is brought to you by built bar. And I've got a new thing to talk about with built bar. First one this year, the built bar March madness bracket is here. We know you have a favorite bar puff and now's your time to make it count. Go to BuiltMarchMadness.com to vote for your favorites. And you guys know I'm going to be voting for all my coconut favorites because they're just, you know what? They're the ones I always find myself going back to. I could try all the special flavors or whatever, but the coconut ones reminds me of an Almond Joy. Always my favorite. I think I'll probably be voting for Coconut Almond, regular Built Bar. It's like the OG. That's my favorite. So, um, And if you want the Knicks to win, you should probably vote for that bar too. I mean... It's the Knicks of the Coconut Almond Built Bar that works pretty good because it's it's a pretty great bar. So support your team and support your bar or puff. And when you vote for your favorite bar or puff, you'll be entered into a drawing where 50 lucky Locked On listeners will get a free box of Built. Not only that, but one Locked On fan will win a 12-month subscription to Built to have Built's best bars and puffs delivered monthly straight to your door. That's a crazy cool prize. You got to try Built. Built the best protein bar ever. Seriously, they're so amazing. And you won't think that they're even good for you because they taste like a candy bar. What makes them so good? Well, for starters, they're all high in protein, low in sugar, and covered in 100% real chocolate. That's right, real chocolate. So run to BuiltMarchMadness.com right now to vote for your favorite bar or puff and pick up a box while you're there. You can vote every day in March. So hop in and support your pick. All right, Gavin, we're back to continue talking about mostly the Knicks win over the Lakers because who wants to talk about a fourth quarter collapse against the Clippers any longer than we have to? Um, But I'll throw it to you. I don't know if you want to continue on that Josh Hart thread that I was on uh, at the end of last segment or or potentially highlight someone different, but uh, I think there's still still some pretty uh, good meat on the bone for this Lakers win. Now, I... I was really into this whole weekend from Josh. I mean, even against the Clippers, like he, he didn't have a great game in that one, but he, he had a few really good plays. Like one, one that stood out to me was um, him and Quentin Grimes just had a nice ESP. And we haven't seen a ton of minutes with, with those two getting to play with each other, but he, he just threw like um, Grimes' defender was ball watching and, and Hart. This was such a smart play. He, he faked the pass as if Grimes was was popping outside while Grimes was cutting inside and then just slipped it to him, going back door, easy two points there. 
Um, and then, then Harden had, had a nice little midi turnaround. I mean, I, I didn't really know he had that in his bag, so that was great. And in this game, I, I was getting ready to come on, especially at the Knicks loss, and talk about, like, wow, this is sort of the first game where I didn't really notice Josh Hart all that much when he was on the court. And then he just changed the game down the stretch. Um, I mean, it's e- easy to forget what the Knicks ultimately pulling this one out, but the Lakers had a 12-0 run in the third quarter where it looked like, all right, here we go. Things are about to fall apart the same way they did against the Clippers, um, where the Knicks were um, up uh 77 to 69 and that turned into an 80 81 to uh 77 deficit which is is not as nice of a score um and and then from there Hart just came back and hit a giant three-pointer um which is not really what you expect out of him um and and then set up RJ for the for the two buckets that I mentioned um he hit Obi on like a 70 foot pass it was it was the pass IQ would normally throw uh for a transition layup I had a huge offensive rebound with three and a half minutes left um, that gave Julius Randle a jumper that extended the lead from 108 to 99, uh, or excuse me, from 106.99 to 108.99. And when you look back to your point, Alex, that it was only a two-point game down the stretch, um, that those two points uh, proved to be pretty monumental. And then you, you noted in, um, in the open, but uh, the two big free throws down the stretch, that's been an issue for the Knicks this entire season, right? I mean, we go back to that Bulls game, we go back to that Mavericks game, the Knicks have lost multiple games this year just because they couldn't make free throws. And it was guys like Jalen Brunson and Emmanuel Quickly, who are elite free throw shooters, um, or Quentin Grimes um, early in the season, and Hart, who that's not necessarily what he's known for, but just stepping in and just could not have been calmer. Part of it was that the whole crowd for the Lakers were, were kind of dead tonight, but still a uh, great sequence. Also, uh, this is this is a side comment, but I it, it makes me so angry that Julius Randle still takes technical free throws. He missed another one tonight. Um, and I know it's it's one of those things that, and I, I promise I'll keep this short, that like on paper is sort of like, haha, like, uh, I guess Julius just wants to shoot. But to me, that is that is a, a leftover, like gross, nasty remnant from last season where Julius got the benefit of the doubt where other guys didn't. And it, it's like, what, this, to fluff up this guy's ego, like he needs to take the technical when he's, on the floor with Grimes and quickly two better free throw shooters. And one point, like he missed the free throw that could have cost the Knicks tonight. And I, I don't know. I, it just, it makes me irrationally upset because it feels like it's t- like Tibbs just spitting in the face of everyone else on the floor. I'm like, all right, we got it. We got to keep Julius happy. We got to, got to throw him his little nuggets. I don't want to rip Julius Randall because he's been awesome this entire year. And that is honestly more on Tibbs than it is on Jules, but that, that really annoys me. So I'll, I'll leave it at that. Yeah, on the bright side, when Brunson's active, that goes out the window because Brunson's usually the guy taking that free yep. throw for better or worse. So yeah, Brunson's been off on them this year too. Yeah. I mean, he I don't mind him shooting them, but still, yeah. Yeah, I mean Brunson went from like having that streak of what fifty or forty eight yeah. or something. something I think. Yeah. yeah, so yeah, I don't think he quite hit fifty, but he was damn close. Like he went from that stretch to just like being yeah, very, very off from the free throw line ever since i don't know what that is but yeah i would at least you know he's at least seems more qualified for that than julius who like for all of his great moments has struggled with clutch free throw making on the knicks his whole time there which and just free throw making in general he's just not a fantastic free throw shooter um but yeah i mean to get back to heart for just a sec like i i think that he just he's so much like especially late in games when you expect things to turn into a slog. He's such a valuable player for the Knicks in the sense that on either team, you're typically not going to find someone who's still so willing to push the pace as hard as he does. Uh, 
as late into games as he does. Like most NBA games and the Knicks I, for under Tibbs have been super guilty of this. Will start really slowing things down in a half court offense, especially like the last like six, seven minutes of a game, you know, just trying to generate their shots and, and run things for their star players, you know, run ISOs, whatever. And Hart just is kind of like, no, <laughs> like, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to keep my head up. I'm going to keep looking for passes down the, down the way. And, you know, it, it created some awesome looks to your point in this game for like RJ, Obi, like, all these various guys, like just by virtue of keeping his head up at all times. And, you know, the second that because he's so good at grabbing rebounds himself, the second that he grabs the rebound, he just immediately looks up the floor because he's like, well, I'm a good enough passer and I'm fast enough that I can get something going here. Um, so he's, he's just really such a perfect mix of skills for, for this Knicks team. Um, it wasn't his play, but I guess this would be a good opportunity to give Hardenstein a little bit of credit here. Uh, my favorite transition play while I'm thinking about transition plays this whole game was Isaiah Hardenstein did such a good job for a guy that scored zero points in this game, ends up with a team high plus 19. Uh, and he had zero points, but 11 boards, two assists, two steals, and a block in this game. One of those two steals, he had this like gorgeous strip of, I think he was, it was Anthony Davis, and it was like a, a just kind of like a poke away of a pass, grabs the ball, kicks it to R.J. Barrett. R.J. around midcourt looks like he's getting harassed to the point where he might cough up the ball. And then he just pulls this like super smooth behind-the-back dribble to his right hand and then keeps driving with his right. And then to R.J.'s credit, one of his big things that he doesn't do often is look up often enough to see an Obi Toppin especially. And yet he looks up and sees, oh, man, Obi's wide open for a dunk and tosses him up a picture-perfect pass for a reverse dunk for Obi, who himself had a really good game and and honestly a pretty good stretch overall, like a, a pretty good weekend. Like he's kind of back to that point now where it's like when he comes in, you feel like the Knicks get a real breath of fresh air or something different from what they get with Julius Randle, um, which before like for a stretch, especially when Julius was playing his best and Obi was kind of struggling a little bit, he felt like he was kind of just filling minutes. Uh, but now he's back to sort of doing his thing again. So one little sequence there sort of encapsulated things I liked from uh, three different guys. Cause here we've already talked about RJ. I'll, I'll throw it to you, Gavin, if who you feel like highlighting out of Hartenstein or Obi or someone else now. Yeah. Uh, I just, just one play for Obi top and even going back to that Clippers game, this this might've been my, my favorite play of the, the Clippers game where Obi, um, toasted Paul George off a pump fake and then went in off the dribble and and just put his shoulder into uh, Mason Plumlee's chest and, and put in a, a left-handed banker. Uh, and these, those are sort of the flashes of skill that we've, we've gotten from Obi early in the season and we we don't get from Obi um, often enough. And and I'm, I'm sure you saw it, Alex, but there was a pretty interesting quote from uh, Cam Reddish this week um, on his home in New York where, where he said, I, I didn't I didn't feel like I could um, miss a shot without having to come out of the game essentially that's that, that's a paraphrase to be clear but that was sort of the implication like basically like, i did i did like think like don't miss every time i shoot because if i miss i'm going back to the bench and he said most importantly i know i'm not the only one that felt that way and we we've said for years that obi Toppin probably felt that way and, and to me that's a pretty clear confirmation that obi behind closed doors has probably said similar things and it's it is a very very tricky mental thing to to kind of just get straight in your head when you're already dealing with the pressure of 
being an NBA player, of trying to make it, of, of playing in front of whatever, 20,000 people every night in person, another uh, on some nights, like a couple hundred thousand, couple million on, on TV. Um, and then to, to know if you miss a shot, your coach isn't going to give you another chance. And we've seen, I, I think Obi find his confidence a little bit more again when, when there's a really dire stretch this season. And I, look, I, I, I still think we, we ultimately know how this is going to end with Obi Toppin. And I think probably this off season is going to be him on another team, but for the time being, for the rest of the season, the Knicks, the Knicks could really use the boost and, and, and just like the similar to Josh Hart, to your point, the randomness that he's injected. And, and one of the real bummers of this season is that his chemistry with the manual quickly has, at least in terms of the actual on-court impact, it has dissipated a little bit. And, and that's a product of them playing together less. I mean, this game, they really didn't get to play together a whole lot because when Brunson's out, obviously Quickly's coming in and out with the starters. And it's RJ who's sort of the number one guy with the second unit on, on most nights. Uh, but it was it was really good to see from him. And I'm, I'm totally with you on Hardenstein. I mean, hey, he had one possession in the fourth quarter. We just completely locked Anthony Davis up, ended up forcing a really tough miss on a jumper. Um, as, as Mike Breen pointed out, um, he, he led the Knicks um, in this game as a plus 19. Uh, but there's a bunch of guys you could chat out for the Knicks. I mean, Deuce McBride was awesome. He had three steals in his first five minutes of action, ended up hitting two threes, had a transition dunk as well, eight points in, in 17 minutes. Um, and then Quentin Grimes, I you go back to the Clippers game more so, but I, I thought he was really good attacking off the baseline that game, had four assists um, in that one. Um, certainly could have done better defensively uh, against the the Lakers, but he, he he did some he I, I like at least that he's looking to drive again, Alex, because there's there's a period where it, it just felt like Grimes was really, really lost. Yeah, I liked that aspect of his game better in the Clippers game than the Lakers game. I actually thought for Grimes versus the Lakers, he he was doing great at making that decision to make the drive, but then wasn't necessarily making the best decision once he got inside. <laughs> like it was like Two possessions stand out to me. I think they were fairly early in the game, and they might have been some of the last drives that he made, but like the one he came in and he sort of seemed like he had a plan, but then he left his feet too early. And I mean, it was a testament. Like Grimes really has like crazy underrated hops. I feel like, like he just got up in the air for this jump pass, and it felt like he just kind of like stalled there for a second, like Wiley Coyote or something, like stuck in the air, and then went to go make his pass around the baseline. And yet it just didn't happen because it just wasn't a good like he left his feet too early and then didn't have a plan and then had the ball in his hands was like ah what do I do with this and then tried to throw it and threw a turnover and then on another possession after that he drove in and just like got totally stuffed on a drive and it just didn't it didn't work out well for him but the execution of actually going in there for those drives is good I just think that similar to what we say about like any of the guys on this team, sometimes him, RJ, Julius, he just needed to kind of even quickly. Sometimes uh, he just needed to like process a little bit faster. Like it just felt like he was like a half second off of whether before or after, you know what I mean? Like when he took off too early, I think he was a half second too early on trying to make the decision. Then when he got blocked, I felt like he was like a half second too late. Like it just seemed like he couldn't quite get it perfect against the Lakers. Um, but yeah, I loved, I loved the, the game for Hartenstein. I, I, his ability to generate second chances for the Knicks was so key in this game, him and Hart, and they're just such a dynamic duo. I mean, it's like, 
it's almost like we could have predicted that when we were talking about it when they first got Hart. Like we both were like, oh, this this is going to be a cool pairing. Like him and him and Mitch or him and Hartenstein is going to going to work out really well because you get so much excess rebounding there. And those two were the combo in this game. Like they just had a fantastic time together. And yeah, that that possession against AD was just fantastic. I thought that was one of the best defensive efforts of the game uh, for the Knicks in this in this game against the Lakers. So big ups to him. And then I'll quickly touch on McBride too, and then we could probably start wrapping up. But I thought Deuce was really great as well. I mean, they alluded to it on the broadcast, like pretty high praise. Like I know Mike Breen knows the Knicks really well, hmm. so obviously he always highlights him a little more than your average national broadcaster, but. Even Van Gundy was like, I mean, they were really singing Deuce's praises for a guy that in a few days when Jalen Brunson comes back, probably will be back out of the rotation again. But this game just sort of showed like there is really something there with him if he could just hit shots. Like that's literally all it's going to take. And he's going to carve out like a 10, 15 year NBA career is if he could just start hitting threes at like a 36, 37 percent clip. He'll be good for life because, I mean, the defense is so awesome that all he needs to do is prove that he can be a positive on offense and, and it's all going to be gravy for him. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm completely with you. I just, I just wanted to mention Emmanuel quickly this week because they, we, we've been leading every show with him for the last month. And then I, I realized we haven't talked about him yet. Um, but just, just the three level scoring again for quickly. I mean, against the Clippers, what stood out to me were, were at times how, how late in his drives he would be going up to the rim. And it just, I mean, you can, he's one of those players where you can really see the hours that he's put in, like probably the, the 10,000 hours that he's put in. Um, to just to just working on his game where it's like, oh, okay, he's probably worked on like Euro stepping right to left uh, and his, his body's like halfway behind the backboard and still finding a way to put the ball in with his right hand. And he's probably just done that that move that you you get to maybe, I don't know, whatever, like 20 times a whole season. Like he's probably worked on it like you know, a thousand times over the offseason. And then and then when he got into the paint against the Lakers, like had a had a fake um, turnaround jumper and then and then just hit a jump hook. Um, and, and then his ability to just be going in full speed, um, for a floater and, and kind of at the last second waiting to see if the center commits or, or stays, um, on Mitchell Robinson. And then when the center doesn't commit, like he can still just, just chuck in a floater at full speed and he, and he has the fadeaway game now too. So it just, it, he came into the league, a guy who's really good at drawing fouls, really good at, at, at shooting from three. And now he's, I mean, he's. Like from a skill set perspective, he's just behind um, Jalen Brunson and Julius Randle for the most skilled guy on this entire team, and that's that's pretty encouraging given that he's he's what he's he's twenty three years old still. Like I, I just I can only imagine Alex like at age twenty seven or even I mean we've seen it with someone like Steph Curry who seemingly is playing his best basketball at points at age thirty four. Like like guys who work like that even even when they're smaller can I mean Steve Nash too is another great example can peak late in their career because their skill set just gets so crazy that anything you throw at them as a defender they have an answer to and there's still stuff for him to work on like he was having a little trouble in the game when when Dennis Schroeder was was pressing up on him but I mean there's there's just so much to be encouraged by with Emmanuel quickly yeah it's been it's been a heck of a run for quickly and I I thought that the the Lakers game was just another I mean it wasn't his most spectacular outing obviously on the one week anniversary of uh him his like breakout performance against the Celtics. Uh but it was a very solid effort. And you know, if he could shoot 50% and shoot like 35% from three, like he's he very well could be a star uh at some point in this league. So it's I mean he might already be well on his way there if you look at the starter numbers of what he puts up when when he starts in games this year. 
very similar to Jalen Brunson prior to coming to the Knicks. But I think we've pretty much covered it. I mean, there's lots of coverage. There's two games, but uh, one more game on this West Coast road trip. One thing that I didn't mention, the Knicks have an opportunity to to come out of this road trip 500, which I think is always the goal if mm. you're going to go on a full-on West Coast trip all the way out to the like the Pacific Coast as a New York team. So things are looking pretty good. You know, if they could just pull this game out against Portland, they should be in good shape in the standings. They should be in good shape morale-wise, everything else coming back home. So we'll see how that all goes. But uh, we'll have you covered here on Locked on Knicks, no matter how late these freaking West Coast games end. We'll make sure to have something in your feed the next day. So thank you all for listening, and we will talk to you guys a few more times this week, as usual. Until then, peace out. Talk to you soon.